What's going on, guys, and welcome back to episode number 33 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and we are joined today by a very special guest. He covers the Giants for NBC Sports Bay Area. Alex Pavlovich is here with us. Alex, how you doing? Happy New Year. I'm good. How are you? Happy New Year to you, too. I'm doing well, and I know MLB free agency is, is uh, upon us. We'll touch on that in just a second. But before we get to that... I want to ask you about Barry Bonds and the Hall of Fame. The announcement is in a few days, January 26th. This is year number nine for him on the ballot. What are your expectations for, for Barry Bonds? And, you know, cause I know he's been around the higher 50% range, you know, 60, 60% and such. What are your kind of expectations for him moving forward uh, this year around? Um, the same as always. I, I think, you know, what's his name? Ryan Thibodeau does a, a fantastic job of, of summing everything up and getting ballots. And I, I think he had seen that Barry was listed on one extra ballot this year, but was taken off of one ballot. So he, he's basically a wash and, and he always loses a ton of support um, when they become public or when, or when people's ballots are revealed on, on the day you mentioned. And so I, I just think he's going to see something similar, just maybe a little bit of a bump, because so far he's been on five of six first-time voter ballots. Um, and, and so he's, he's getting that younger generation, but he's just going to run out of time, I think. And, you know, he needs to get up probably, like, close to 70% to have a shot next year, just because there's not that many people who are going to change their minds. And, and he's in a tough spot with just one more year left on the ballot. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to get in this year round. Uh, I know Kurt Schilling was pretty close. So you could start voting next year. Is that right? Yeah, um, I think so. I, 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 it's kind of a secretive process, even from our point of view. Like, I, I know you have to be a member of the BBWA for 10 years. I'm not sure how it works. Like, I don't know if I'll get an email in, in October or something or, or get the ballot in the mail all of a sudden. But uh, this is my 10th season. So it, it's been funny for me because I've always lined up with Bonds where his last year on the ballot would be my first year able to vote. For me, it's a slam dunk, obviously. Um, but uh, I'm hoping that I get that in the mail later this year and, and can actually mark them down. Yeah. Hopefully you could get a, maybe a random, just a random ballot showing up at your house. And yeah. you I don't even way. know if they have my address. So I, that's where I'm like, I guess I'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So the giants uh, finished two games under 500 in 2020 in the COVID shortened 60 game sprint. They were one game away from a playoff berth with the expanded format. What are what are some of the takeaways and the the bright spots the organization had from you know obviously a much improved year? Yeah, I mean for me and, and Gabe Kapler does this, so I'm going to do the same thing. He always goes to the coaching staff, and it, it was guys that, like I just mentioned, I mean, I've been doing this for almost a decade now, and I had literally heard of almost nobody that he he hired. Um, I don't know if I had heard of any of them actually when I think back on it in terms of the younger guys and. And uh, just seeing him in spring training, it, it was, you know, eye-opening. Just right away, you could see that it's just little things. I mean, they're much more into technology. Obviously, they're much more into modern methods of, of training. But just, you know, little things like you no longer have the schedule posted on a cork board. Now it's like on a, a digital board that's updated constantly throughout the day. It just makes sense in this day and age. I mean, people are getting the schedule updated on their phones as, as the workout goes on. So, it was things like that. And, and then you see the way they're working with guys and how much energy they were putting into to work with guys and, um, and listening to players during spring training, they were really excited. And then, so you, you go into the season, you don't know how it's going to work out. And, and I, I think it's 
pretty apparent, especially from the hitting side. Um, and I don't want to take away, anything away from the pitching coaches because I, I think they did a good job too, and, and people were happy to work with them. They didn't have as much to work with. Um, but the hitting side, it, it was really clear when you see that the kind of season that Brandon Belt has, uh, Brandon Crawford, his bounce back, um, you know, continued improvement from somebody like Austin Slater and, and just overall as a team. I mean, they were legitimately – a top five offense in the national league and, and pretty easily. And, and that's not at all we've come to expect around here. So that is my main takeaway from the season that I, I think they continue to be headed in the right direction. And when we say that we've always talked about development at the minor league level, but I, I think the development at the big league level was, was really exciting. And, and that's where you can really kind of make up ground a little bit faster. I mean, you're, you're going to have to wait for the prospects, but, if you can have somebody like a Mike Ostromsky who goes from being pretty good last year to being an MVP candidate, and, and if you can have everybody else, you know, if guys are going to be jumping their OPS by, by 100 points, 150 points, and, and having career years and, and breakthroughs, I mean, that, that's how you can make up ground pretty fast. Yeah, and of course the Giants were seventh in baseball and weighted runs created plus last year. The key phrase we heard, or at least, you know, me as an outsider heard in Scottsdale was – the veterans need to buy in. The veterans need to buy in to kind of a new brand of baseball, as you mentioned. It seems like they did buy in. And uh, they had a lot of, you know, a lot of them had really good years. Brandon Crawford, as you mentioned, Brandon Belt, um, you know. So is that kind of – I know Brandon Crawford, you know, kind of hit with some of the new hitting coaches a little bit earlier on before spring training. What was the veteran – from a veteran aspect, what did you get the sense that they learned from these uh, new, the new coaching staff per se? Yeah, I think it was just small adjustments. I mean, Crawford's a, a tough one to, to figure out because it, it, nothing looked like too different. I don't think um, belt to me was just a matter of finally having a coaching staff that really believed in, in what he does and really said, go out and do what you do. And if, look, if that means you strike out looking, you strike out looking, that's fine. I mean, it's not, it's not a big deal. So I think they gave him a lot of confidence to do that, and, and they they were selective with playing time with him and um, found a lot of spots for Wilmer Flores, and, and so that was huge. Um, it's interesting with the veterans because the flip side of that is like Longoria didn't really see those gains. So in, in terms of the guys who have been here and, and guys that we've seen, I mean, Pablo Sandoval had been here. He, he had an awful year, so um, we saw gains from them. It was hard to tell a little bit sometimes, like exactly – whether that was short season or, or whether, um, you know, this was for real. I, I think a, a lot of it was for real, but a lot of it too was, was just a, a short season sample. And, and these are guys, you know, who have worn down a little bit over the course of six months in, in previous seasons, and that kind of affects their numbers. So, but I, I will say to your point, I mean, they bought in and they made adjustments. And, and uh, it's hard in an environment like this where you're talking to everybody on zoom and, and uh, i don't know that i talked one-on-one with any of these guys during the course of the season which is where you can usually get a better sense of what's going on to really pinpoint what's going on but i i can just say that they did buy into the new coaching staff and, and the new manager and, and the way things were going i mean it wasn't always easy i know crawford wants to play every day um and, and some of that was an adjustment for him early on but they made the changes they had to make and and uh whether they were subtle and, and why the subtle improvements are the number in the numbers or, or huge gains for somebody like Belt, um, you know, I, I think that was really important that those guys bought in. I mean, to my previous answer where I talk about the huge gains, I, I think you're seeing it from a lot of the newcomers, um, Dickerson, Yastrzemski, guys like that. But the core guys were going to be here for two years no matter what after Kapler took over. And, and the fact that 
it went from some question. I mean, I had a lot of questions last offseason about what this would mean for Crawford and, and Belt and Longoria. And, and they went from those questions to basically being locked into the 2021 lineup. I mean, it tells you a lot about what went on last year. So I know you worked from home for a lot of the time during the pandemic in 2020 uh, during the season. What were some of the other key differences of covering the Giants during a pandemic? Because I'm sure it's a really weird, but also really unique experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, first I, I watched every game at home. Every uh, every home game, every road game, I, w- I was on the couch and watching Kruk and Kipe, which was – that to me was like the best part of this year. I don't ever really get to listen to them because we're in the press box. But um, to listen to those guys every night, and I, I think they were at the top of their game, it was – was really cool. Um, and then just the rest of it, I mean, you just kind of make do and, and uh, probably a lot more writing over the course of the day. I mean, I, I didn't miss the commute to the ballpark and then getting home at night. So it, it allows for a lot more during the course of the day. Um, if Gabe Kapoor would talk to us at two thirty, like I'm at home, I can write three stories if I have to. So I, I don't have to go back to the press box. I don't have to worry about watching DP or things like that. Um, that was a benefit. I, I think the downside is, we just didn't get to talk to anybody, um, you know, off the record. We didn't get – you did a little bit. But, I mean, you, for the most part, we were getting players in group Zooms every day. We are getting the manager in group Zooms every day. Um, you know, they didn't make coaches available to us, really, which was – I don't quote them a lot in stories, but I love to talk to a coach before batting practice. I think that's, like, one of the best times you can learn. Um, and, and then just not being in the clubhouse. I mean, these are guys, some of these guys I've covered for a long time and, and uh, was really interested to see what, what their actual take would be on what they're seeing and, and uh, how they feel about the future and how they feel about what's going on. And it's, you, you can't really ask those questions over Zoom when there's you know, 15 people on that call that's being recorded. Um, these are conversations you, you have, you know, in the dugout before games or, or before batting practice or, in the clubhouse, um, on the road especially. So a lot of that was missing. I, I think a lot of a lot of the stuff we learned over the course of the year, we, we did not. But um, it was a weird year for everybody. And, and ultimately, um, you know, it wasn't – I had some fears going into the year about what it would be like covering the team basically via Zoom and, and watching on TV. But it ended up being, I think, a lot better than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to the current time here, the latest <clears> – <throat> Big league signing for the Giants comes courtesy of Kirk Casale, who backed up Tucker Barnhart in Cincinnati. Makes sense in a lot of ways. Tell me why. Yeah, I mean, you know, really the only thing he's missing is being a left-handed hitter, which would make him kind of the the perfect fit there with Buster. But a guy who had good numbers last year, um, good on-base percentage, slugged 500. Um, He has some power. You know, he he comes cheap, and and, uh, that's important because – they would like Joey Bart to be there at some point. Um, so you don't want to be paying the guy, you know, six, seven million as your backup catcher um, when he might not be there the whole year. But just, I, I think a good clubhouse guy, a good defender gets, gets good grades on pitch framing, which is really important to the staff and really knew a lot of people and, and w- will be an easy fit. And, you know, as a backup catcher, I mean, that's a hard job. It, you have to, you never know who you're going to catch. I mean, sometimes you, you have, you're a personal catcher, but for the most part, you don't really know how often you'll catch a certain guy, um, but you have to know the whole staff. So it's tough. And I, I think he is really a great fit for that role. And, and somebody, you know, listening to him talk the other day, I mean, he reminded me a lot of Nick Conway and Stephen Vogt, just as guys who just have that personality that you see from backup catchers. And 
And uh, I hate calling people backup catchers, but I mean, that, that I think he would tell you he's the same. So, um, but yeah, it's just, I think he's going to be an easy fit for the clubhouse. And, and also, you know, somebody who has experience with a lot of different roles and has been in the minors a lot in the last few years. So it, it's not like it's going to be, a, I think, as awkward as maybe it would be if, if you had a, a more established player in that role and, and Joey Bart was ready. Yeah, I wasn't going to ask you about Joey Bart because I know you're probably sick of, of uh, answering that in your mailbags. That you I mean, I, <laughs> I will say every time we get like Scott or Farhan or somebody, I, I will say I hate to ask you about Joey Bart, but we have to ask about Joey Bart. So go ahead. Well, no, I wasn't going to ask you about Joey Bart because I've, I already know the answer to it. I'm sure a lot of the listeners already know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do want to ask you about Buster Posey. who's coming back for the final year of his deal. Uh, we've heard him talk about how special it would be to – we heard him talk about how special one uniform guys were and how special it will be for him to have that experience. I assume he'd like to retire as a giant. How will he be used this year, you know, kind of after a year off, you know, is in a you know perfect world, 162 games. Is 100 games expected out of him behind the dish? And uh, what does his future look like? Yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, I would probably say, like, 92 95 just because i he's been around i think 100 to 110 most of the last few years um he's not a 125 start guy anymore behind the plate and and he's turning 34 in a few months but he also has had a year off so they're going to throw him back out there and and let him be the open day catcher and let him be the starting catcher um this staff really believes strongly in in rest and, and making sure guys are are getting, you know, that day off when they need it. And not that the previous one didn't, but I, I think it was a little bit different when Buster was here before. I mean, he was the guy and, and did not have um, potentially a Joey on the roster with him. He, he was a little bit younger. So I, I think he'll get a little bit more rest than he has in the past. And, and the reason I would go under 100 is because I, I do think at some point in the second half, you'll see Joey. And, you know, then it becomes probably more of a timeshare um, than, than you have with, with a traditional backup catcher, but um, by all indications, he looks great. Um, everybody I've talked to has seen him at Oracle Park says he looks good. He's excited about next year. Um, he, he's talked about being excited about coming back, and and uh, you know I, I think they're going to run him out there a lot early on because this is a team that needs to get off to a good start, and and he's their best catcher and somebody that they have a lot of faith in next year. And I just to me, it's going to be so important to have him behind the plate. I mean, we we saw so many instances this year where it just happened really quickly, especially for guys in the bullpen. I mean, Trevor got and, and Sam Coonrod that last blown save. Those were moments where you kind of look around and go like, man, it'd be great to have Buster jogging out to the pitcher's mound right now to, to settle this guy down. And maybe, maybe he sees something back there that can allow the giants to get out of this and, and um, allow this pitcher to maybe do something different than what he, he ended up doing. So that's going to be really key. And I, I think that's why they're going to run him out there a lot the first couple of months, especially you know, it's it's probably a new staff and, and bullpen that, again, is not really that experienced. So they're going to need him. Yeah, for sure. They missed him last year, and I think he's going to provide a nice boost offensively too. And a, a team that really hit well for the first time in a while. I mean, this was a Giants lineup that, as we mentioned before, went off. So he should, you know, not have a lot of pressure around him. Um, and to and, that point, I mean, he might hit six. So, yeah. you know, this is the guy who had his hit third or fourth the whole time and, and partially because he had to and partially because just that's the way it's been. And it was really hard for the previous regime to make huge changes. But he's coming back. He, he could legitimately hit six or seventh for them. And, and that would be good for both sides. 
Yeah, I don't I don't see the big power numbers there. I mean, but that that I think that part of his career is kind of over. I see, you know, obviously there's still a chance he could hit 300. I think he's got really bat to ball skill, really good bat to ball skills. So we'll see what happens there. Anthony DiScalfani was also added to the rotation. Uh, there still isn't a left-handed starter with the subtraction of Drew Smiley and I guess Andrew Suarez for that matter too. We've seen the Giants link to John Lester. Uh, I saw somebody even say Gio Gonzalez, uh, throw Gio Gonzalez's name out there. John Lester didn't get a rose a few years back. I know that's just <laughs> saying that we we often throw around. But yeah, how I was standing in that hallway. <laughs> how possible is that fit? I don't think that's happening. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, we like to talk about left-right, and there's a reason for it. But at the same time, like, you, you want to go out there and get the best five that you can. And I, I think people are connecting them to a lot of, of – uh, you know, a lot of these older left-handers just because they're left-handed. And I, if they can go out and get a good lefty, I mean, there's some guys out there who are intriguing and um, some guys who are coming off injuries or, or coming off ineffectiveness, which always makes them a little bit of a fit here. Um, and I, I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go and get one of those guys and, and bring him in here to, to have that lefty. But they're not going to go sign a lefty just because he's a lefty. And they're not going to go sign a veteran just to fill that hole. If, if they – you know, have a choice between somebody who's hasn't been very good, but throws left-handed and, and uh, another Di Scofani type, they're going to choose the Di Scofani. So um, I don't buy a lot of what's been out there. Um, I'll just say that about left-handers that have been connected to them. I, I think their main focus right now is just adding one more guy who, who has that kind of upside. Yeah. I think the Rays a few years ago went so many games without starting a left-hander. I think it was starting a left-hander. Uh, and that streak was broken, but it went for a while. So we'll see what happens uh, in terms of the Giants rotation. Let's talk about a bat real quick. If they were to add a bat, where would one fit? Because I feel like the outfield's pretty crowded with a lot of, you know, role players, as we saw last year with Darren Ruff and Alex Dickerson. Stremsky's pretty much a staple. Where would a bat fit? Because I, I honestly don't see an opening. Yeah, I mean, it would be the, the Jason Boswell role right now. Um you know, somebody, maybe a Tommy Lestella type uh, who can bat left-handed, can play around the infield, can help Longoria out at third. Um, that's the easy fit. I also think they're, they're not opposed to, you know, if, if there's somebody who ends up being a, a great fit um, just from a talent perspective, like let's say Jock Peterson, for example, like he, he is a really good platoon player. He crushes right-handed pitching and has a ton of power and can hit it out of that ballpark. I think he's a great fit for the roster. Now they have five outfielders right now, but you know, if it, if it gets down to it and, and that is kind of the best deal that's out there for him, somebody like that, I don't, they're not opposed to that. I mean, they'll figure that out. There are different ways to do this. And um, you know, some of these arbitration contracts are not guaranteed. Austin Slater does have an option remaining, even though you don't want it. You don't want to send him back down. Um, he doesn't deserve that. Uh, Mauricio Dubon can play the infield. So, I think there are ways around it. Um, in an ideal world, you'd have like that lefty masher who could play third as well and, and play some second and, and maybe even play some short um, just to help him out there. But I, I think right now their main main idea is to go out and get a good left-handed bat. And, and to me, it's similar to the rotation. It's like you go and get the best player you can and, and uh, you figure out if, if, it's a, if it's a bad fit later. But, um, you know, the, this front office has never been in the position to turn down talent and they'll figure out if they can get a left-handed bat a left-handed power bat especially 
to help that lineup. They always felt like they were one left-handed bat short. So, like, again, you don't want to necessarily go like, hey, they think Vosler's going to be a good player, but you don't want to lean on that when you could get somebody who has a lot more big league experience. And, and maybe he can't play third, but he's a better fit for the lineup. Yeah, Jason Vosler, I had him on the podcast the week that he signed. So, at least if he makes a roster, I'll have some credibility somewhere. Yeah. But uh, big picture stuff here real quick. Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Padres just added pieces that could probably put their rotation on an elite level. Giants will have a young talent. You know, Giants will have a young core with talent coming off the books soon. How fun will this National League West be within the next five, seven years? Yeah, you know, it's hard for me to look that far down the line because, and I've been through it with San Diego before where you see them, you know, it seems like they're going to take the leap and then it, it craters out. Um, so I, 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 but I think they're built, they're built better this time, but uh, I just look down to like 2022 and I, you know, I, you follow me on Twitter, you know, I, I hope I have been honest about where this franchise is and um, about, you know, some of the issues they've had over the last couple of years, but I, I think I'm cynical in a lot of ways, but I'm also very optimistic about 2022. And I, I think some of these kids are going to move fast and, and some of these kids are, are really incredible talents and the type we haven't seen here in, in a decade. So I'm optimistic about what next year is going to look like for the Giants and, and especially the year after that. And it does now line up a little bit. I mean, the Dodgers are going to always figure out a way to keep this going and, and they're always going to be good because they have Mookie and they have Bellinger and, and you know they have all this young pitching they'll, they'll figure it out and, and the Padres now I mean they have this window for the next three seasons with all these guys in their team control and Tatis is going to be cheap and they can continue to do things so to me I mean this year is a two-team race and you know it, it, it's pretty difficult going into this year especially with what the Mets just did for anybody to even think about um, getting into the wild card race I think just because those, those four teams at the top of the National League are, are stacked. But I look to next year, and I think that's going to be really fun and, and really interesting. And, and, you know, hopefully we have a full house again. Our, our fans are back. And, and it, it's going to be a little bit similar to maybe 2009, where you, you have a young group and you start to see what's, what's coming and, and what's building. And, um, but then you also are, are still chasing teams ahead of you. So they're going to be chasing two really good teams next year. Um, but I, I think we're going to start to see some of these guys that we feel like are on par with those players. Yeah, for sure. I've always wanted to ask you this, and maybe this is a question for the Ken Rosenthal's and Jeff Passons of the world, but do you know that people have your notifications on Twitter? Do you like, whenever you send the uh, I do. Send button, like, do you have that in the back of your mind whenever you tweet? No, I mean, I never really have in the back of my mind, like how many people are going to read a tweet. And I think it's bad to like, think about that. Cause a lot of times you would, you would probably be like, well, you know, I have all these baseball writers following me. Do I want to send this tweet in the fourth inning of like a Tuesday night game? Or, you know, you make a joke that's like very specific for some people that have been following you maybe for like six or seven years. Like you're going to be like, I have 10,000 new followers in the last couple of years. Like, do I want to, will they get this? So I, I never think about it from that perspective, but I, I do, I'm very well aware of it because um, at the end of games and especially at the end of big games and walk-offs, like, you know, we go straight to just kind of tweeting um, and, and straight to like, there's not a lot of time or, or this year it was different, but there's not a lot of time after games to, to tweet what you want to do about a walk-off and then get down to the clubhouse and, and start doing your work. So I, I do it. I move on. I send my story and without fail, I look down and see like, you know, 15 people going, thanks for the spoiler. So 
And I'm always like, stay away from, you know, just don't look at Twitter when it's two outs in the ninth. But a lot of people have responded with, well, we have your notifications on. So, um, you know, your phone lights up and you look down and you see that the Giants won. And then you look up at the TV and it happens like 20 seconds later. So that has been, for me, I, I think, where I've learned that lesson. All right, Alex, I got three rapid fire questions for you before we head out here. Real quick, Giants win total in an 162-game season in 2021? Ooh, um, I would say 82. Like, I think they were pretty close to five. You know, they were right at 500 yeah. last year. I, last year's roster, I think, would have tailed off over the course of 162, and, and they were they're running out of pitching there. But um, they're going to get Buster back. The pitching should be better than it was last year, and, and I, I just think they're going to benefit from another year with these guys. And um, Yeah, that would be my rapid-fire answer. Back above 500 for the first time in a while. Back above 500. So you graduate from scribe to baseball commissioner. What is the one thing you are changing? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm changing their social media habits because, uh, you know, we've seen what's happened with the NBA. And I've been on the other side of this where you, you can't tweet out a video or can't tweet out something or, um, you know, we, we have limits on what we can do. And, and I think that's a huge mistake, especially for a game that is having a lot of issues keeping people's attention. Like, you know, the fact that they're still cracking down on people who want to want to tweet out a, a video of a bat flip, that to me is just a huge mistake. Yeah. All these rights belong to MLB Advanced Media. Yep. I've dealt <laughs> with that. All right. Last one here. Which player, past or present, gives the best interview? The best interview? Um, that is a really good question. The be- Brandon Belt's the funniest guy I've covered. I'll, I'll give him he, – he's the funniest. I, he gives – you know, I used to do those end of year quote pieces and it was like filled with Brandon Bell quotes. I, the first thing that popped in my head when you asked that actually was um, I came on the beat in 2012 and that was when Winscombe was really like kind of on the downswing mm-hmm. and his sessions with beat reporters on the road sometimes after these bad starts would be 20, 30 minutes and like really introspective and just really um, digging deep into what was going on and, and just being brutally honest about it. And I, you know, I never covered him at his peak, but I, that was really interesting for me. Just covering, um, just covering that. I mean, and just going through those interviews, and, and Timmy just willing to be completely honest about his struggles on the mound with with, with the beat writers. I thought was really cool. There are guys like Belt. I mean, Jake Peavy, Jeremy Affelt, who have been really funny. Always uh, love talking to George Contos and relievers, but. Uh, yeah, Timmy stands out as like just, and also because it's Timmy. I mean, he's a superstar. So you, you don't usually get that from guys at that level. Yeah, no, absolutely. Alex, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. Um, and this, uh, you warned me before that uh, anything could happen, and I'm glad we had the chance to talk. Yeah, I think we made it through the half hour. So <laughs> we did. I'll go we check got- Twitter, but I think we're okay. Two minutes to spare. We got it. I think you would have stopped me if they signed somebody. So yeah, um, yeah we're good. Thanks, Steven. Thanks. I appreciate it. You guys could follow yeah. Alex on Twitter at Pavlovich NBC, uh, NBCS. And you guys could follow the podcast uh, at RizzoCast on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening and have an unbelievable day.